home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Hey guys, I'm Doug and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I want to talk about some of the latest developments with our home improvements. But before I do, I would like to take care of a little housekeeping. A couple episodes back, I reviewed a number of podcasts related to home improvement, and one of those podcasts was the Home Pros Radio Show. I've been listening to these guys for a few years now, and their podcast episodes have always been 20 minutes in length, and they were basically highlights of the radio show. Well, right after I did my podcast, they seem to have changed their format which now appears to be their radio show in its entirety. Minus local news and commercial breaks, of course. So their podcast is now about an hour and a half. Now, to be honest, I preferred the 20-minute version as it fit better into my listening schedule, but my main reason for pointing this out is to insist that I am not nuts, or worse, a liar, So if you downloaded the latest episode, expected it to be 20 minutes and only to find out that it's four times that, don't blame me. Personally, I hope they revert back to the old format. Time will tell whether or not this is a temporary change. Something else I want to talk about. Going back a couple years, I did an episode called It Ain't Easy Being Green, which was about climate change and our attempts as homeowners to lessen our environmental impact. Now, at the time, I was pretty much on the fence about man-made climate change, and I took what I thought was a fairly optimistic point of view that things were probably going to be okay. I also questioned the benefits of some of the things we do, thinking that we're being oh-so-ecologically friendly. And I think my overall conclusion was... Well, my overall conclusion was a cop-out by saying it's complicated. Now, the idea for that episode had been bouncing around in my head since I first started the podcast back in 2015. Back then, I would say that I was more in the denier camp. And I touched on many of those points when I finally recorded that episode. So, I had started at denial... I moved to being on the fence. And now, well, now I haven't quite gone full Greta, (laughs) but the evidence is mounting that there may be something to this climate change thing after all. And it's probably a good time to start taking the threat seriously. We've seen devastating wildfires in the U.S. and in Australia that have been exacerbated by climate change. We have seen more extreme weather. I mean, just look at the Texas ice storm. Patterns are changing. There seems to be more unpredictability. Hundred-year events are happening with greater frequency. Could it be an anomaly? Or is the relative stability of the last 11,000 years the anomaly? Maybe we're the cause. Maybe not but here are our options. If climate change is not real and we do nothing, then no harm, no foul. If climate change is real and we do nothing, well, (laughs) 
uh, we could be toast. If climate change is real and we alter our way of life to lessen our impact, we may have a positive outcome. Or maybe we've already reached the tipping point and our efforts will be futile. Or maybe we will at least mitigate some of the damaging effects. If climate change is not real and we alter our way of life to lessen our environmental impact, we will at least breathe cleaner air and drink cleaner water. Doing nothing, the risk is greater. So it seems that the choice is clear. When it comes to upgrading some things around the house, we often hear about payback time. Invest in new windows and they'll pay for themselves after X number of years in the energy that you save. Or if you spend the extra money for the more efficient model of whatever, you will get that back and more in savings or government rebates. But something that always drives me nuts is when someone recommends not going with the more expensive, more energy-efficient model because the payback may not be enough to cover the additional expense. Sometimes doing the right thing, making the right choice, might cost you more. But it will be better for all of us in the long run. Oh, and while I am invoking the name of Greta Thunberg, I am fully aware of the controversy that surrounds her. People seem to take issue with the fact that she's so young and she's on the spectrum. But here's my humble opinion. I can guarantee without any uncertainty that when it comes to climate change, she knows more than I do. And in fact, she knows more than most of her critics do because She has studied it. She's been obsessed by it. She has listened to the scientists. She's done the research. So, you know what? Her knowledge on this topic far, far exceeds mine. Now, I can argue the usual counterpoints all day long, and I have. But they would largely be based on opinion rather than science. And I feel no shame in admitting that I don't know as much as this teenager when it comes to climate change. Payback time, energy efficiency, and the effect on our bottom line all played into recent decisions that we were faced with. So let me get into what's happening around here. Well, (laughs) stuff is happening, and my head is swimming. I've mostly finished the um, disassembly of the basement to the point where I'm ready to start putting things back together again. I have some framing to do, and I need to call in an electrician for the garage before the garage and basement get spray foamed. And of course, there's the new furnace. So I called the HVAC company to get an idea of the budget and the timing and to answer a few questions I had. Now, my wife and I had already made the decision to deal with the same company that installed the air handler in the Money Pit house some 18 years ago, and I actually contacted that same salesperson who is still with the company today. Now that is continuity. This job is not just a furnace and air conditioner. I was also looking for climate control for the garage, 
And in a last minute, sort of while you are at it, my wife and I decided that we would look into a tankless water heater as well. So, yeah, lots of expensive equipment, lots of options, lots of decisions. Well, this guy spent about two hours here looking at our setup, answering my questions, and, well, who's kidding who? Selling stuff. And we are pretty much getting top of the line. Everything. For the difference in price, it just made sense once you take into consideration the better warranties and the energy efficiency. So let's start with the furnace. The furnace that we are replacing is your standard single-speed variety. When the heat or AC kicks on, so does the fan. Simple. It's either on or it's off. If you have, Of course, you can have the fan running continuously to circulate the air, but it just has one speed. On or off. Our new furnace is what is called variable capacity, which adjusts heating output in increments as small as 1%. Or so they claim. And the airflow as well is variable speed. Not one speed, not two speed. Variable speed, which helps to prevent temperature swings. With this technology, along with the secondary heat exchanger that captures waste heat, this furnace achieves up to 98.7% AFUE, or Annualized Fuel Utilization Efficiency which means basically that for every $100 spent on energy, $98.70 is used to produce heat, as opposed to going up the chimney, so to speak. So this represents significant energy savings compared to our 28-year-old furnace. And just doing the math, this new furnace could outlive me, which honestly, is uh, depressing, but it does give us peace of mind. At any rate, the warranty on the sucker is 10 years with a lifetime warranty on the heat exchanger. Although I must say that the old furnace has been bulletproof in the five years that we've been here. It kind of feels wrong to get rid of something that has been working so well, but it's better than risking a breakdown where we would be forced to replace it on short notice. And the efficiency of this new unit will be good for the environment and for our utility bills. The new air conditioner is rated at 17 SEER, which is the Seasonal Energy Efficiency Ratio. <laughs> Great. More numbers. The 98% efficiency of the furnace is easy enough to understand, but what exactly does the SEER rating mean? Well, it's the ratio of cooling in the British thermal units, or BTU. Yay, more numbers. It's the ratio of the cooling in BTU to the energy consumed in watt hours. <laughs> yeah, couldn't be more clear, right? Anyway, with this information, you can actually figure out how much the unit costs to operate. So what exactly does all this mean? What is a good SEER rating? The minimum standard as of 2015 is 14 SEER. 
and the minimum is going to increase to 15 next year. Higher efficiency models can achieve SEERs in the 20s. But 17 SEER is high enough for our unit to achieve an Energy Star rating. And then you have to look at the amount of payback time for the additional cost of the higher efficiency units, and budget definitely plays a role. So for us, 17 SEER is good. The higher ratings seem to come from heat pumps, which is a different technology from what we have. Our furnace is forced air gas. I suppose our sales guy could have presented a few options. Higher SEER units, if they exist for our configuration. But then that would be more information for me to process. Plus, he's been selling this stuff for decades, so he knows what AC unit is going to work best with our furnace. and. I got to trust him on that. At any rate, the air conditioner is leaps and bounds ahead of our current one. Again, it sucks replacing something that is in perfect working condition, but this will be a definite upgrade. Moving on to the garage, it was important to me to get some sort of climate control for the workshop. There's nothing out there right now aside from a 1,500-watt radiant heater that I use in the winter. Now, I've wrestled with the various options for five years now. For AC, I thought I was going to do a simple window or sleeve unit. Heat was a little more complicated because, you know, you have radiant heat, which warms surfaces similar to the sun. There's forced air, which heats the air and moves that around. And both of these would require a gas line to run to the garage, as well as a vent out of the roof. And then there's the electric options, like your standard electric resistance heat. Now, over the years, I've heard many people raving about their mini-split ductless systems for air conditioning. And there are also mini-split heat pump systems. But I was hesitant because... It's still electric heat, and electricity is very expensive. However, after discussing the various options, I settled on a mini-split ductless system, and here's why. I will be maintaining a temperature of around 85 degrees in the summer and 55 degrees in the winter, unless I'm actually in the shop. And when I am in the shop, the difference will only be about 10 degrees which is pretty much the temperatures that we have in the house. But the point is, I am not going to be asking a lot out of the system. The mini split is rated at 24.5 SEER. Okay, that's much more efficient than any window or through-the-wall air conditioner, so cooling costs are going to be lower. As for the heating, well, consider that the heat is going to be used the most during the coldest three months of the year. Yes, that cost is going to be probably double what gas heat would be, but double what exactly? Basically, the more expensive heat in the winter is probably going to be offset by the less expensive cooling in the summer. Plus, we don't have to run a gas line and we won't have a roof penetration for the exhaust. So, I think this is going to be pretty sweet. So, 
air conditioning and heat for the house, air conditioning and heat for the garage. These were planned expenses when we refinanced our mortgage. And these items are not too far out of our budget. What does throw our budget off just a little is the addition that I only considered after we'd already signed the mortgage paperwork. In our previous house, the Money Pit house, we had a brand new state-of-the-art stainless steel indirect hot water tank that worked off the boiler. Well, brand new in 2006 or whatever it was. The point is, we owned that sucker. We no longer paid rent for a hot water tank. In fact, I had bought out the rental contract for the old tank shortly after we moved in. Around here, it is common to rent hot water tanks. That way, if anything goes wrong, the rental company comes and takes care of it. But here's why that doesn't make sense. Hot water tanks have a lifespan of 10 to 12 years. And during that time, you basically pay for the tank twice over. And God bless them, the rental company does not like replacing the tanks if nothing is wrong, regardless of its age. I once had a 12-year-old hot water tank. And I asked the company to replace it simply based on the fact that it was nearing its end of life. And the company said no. If it works, it stays. Of course, that company isn't going to pay for my house insurance or the repair bills if the tank leaks and destroys my drywall or flooring. Makes a lot of sense, right? So flash forward to the present day. We moved into this house in 2016. The water heater was new in early 2015, and it was a rental. And the rental agreement gets transferred to the new owner, us. And the cost of the rental is absolutely ridiculous. And the cost to buy it out is outrageous. And for the amount of hot water we actually use around here, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have this huge tank of hot water that we're keeping hot in the basement. So we are going tankless. Now that's a big chunk of money up front, but it does have some huge advantages. First of all, the energy efficiency thing. We will just be heating the water that we actually use. Can't argue with that. So we save energy and we save money that way. Second, the tankless heater will pay for itself in about seven or eight years. Just based on what we're paying for the rental now. Third, the life expectancy of a tankless heater is longer than that of a tank heater. That's going to reduce waste and is going to be better for the environment. So yeah, the tankless heater, that was a more of a spur-of-the-moment decision. And it's not inexpensive. None of this stuff is. We knew when we bought the house that the furnace was nearing the end of its life. And the garage heat was something that was always on my wish list. Going split ductless for the garage is a luxury, but one that's going to pay off for me in the long run. Because if I don't do it now... At the same time as everything else, chances are that it's going to keep getting put off and put off, much like the garage was at the Money Pit house, the garage that we still hadn't built after 13 years. Well, of course, you know me by now. 
I am a little apprehensive about spending the money. However, we are able to finance this stuff for a paltry administration fee. And between what we have saved now and what our projected cash flow is, we will be able to pay it off within the no interest, no payments period. But yes, we are definitely going over our budget. But we are going to come out ahead just because of the payback and energy savings and rebates. And as if committing to spend enough money to buy a car wasn't enough last week, I was doing laundry on the weekend when I noticed unholy noises emanating from the washing machine. So what now? We gotta pay for an exorcism? Actually, from what YouTube tells me, it's likely the bearing. And also from what YouTube tells me, this repair may be above my pay grade. And as it turns out, after making some phone calls, it turns out that it's above the pay grade of some service technicians around here as well. First of all, the service call is $129. Then on top of that, you have the parts and the labor. And one repairman told me on the phone that if it is the bearing, I would be looking at about a $500 repair. And he would not be the one to do it. And $129 seems to be the magic number for service calls around here. Another company was willing to send someone out, but I asked up front how much the repair would cost if it was the bearing. And after consulting with a repair technician, it turns out that you can't simply buy the bearing for my model. You have to buy the complete drum assembly. So what that means is a $1,200 part for a machine that only cost $1,000 new. And the part's on back order anyway, if you can get it at all. But of course, there's always the possibility that my YouTube consultation has led to an incorrect diagnosis. Wouldn't that be nice? But there's still the cost of the service call and the cost of whatever repair it turns out to be. Maybe we would just be confirming what we already suspect, in which case the $129 is money wasted. And the general consensus amongst the people that we've talked to, the problem is the bearing. So, looks like we're going shopping. Yippee. That, my friends, is part of the fun of being a homeowner. It's always something. In the next episode, I plan to talk about the energy audit, which we're having done to qualify for rebates, and the order of operations now that I have a clear indication of the best way to move forward with the renovations. That will be in a couple weeks, you know, give or take. Until then, you can check me out at thumbandhammer.com. If you like the podcast, I would appreciate it if you would leave a review, maybe tell a friend or two. Any comments or suggestions are more than welcome, and you can leave me a message at thumbandhammer.com slash contact. So, until next time, take care, stay safe. I will talk to you later. Cheers.